Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We will all live forever somewhere. What happens moments after we die? What is heaven really like? What about hell? Am I good enough? What if I'm not? These questions can leave us wondering, but Jesus has given us hope that we can have assurance of our eternity that allows us to live by faith and not by fear. Enjoy the message. I just uh, 24 hours ago just got back from a uh, uh, mission in Ecuador. All right, and in Ecuador, we'll talk more about this in a few weeks. We're going to have the whole team come up and give a report, uh, but I'll just give you a preview. We went to Ecuador to, uh, with our mission partner, uh, Don Biggie, and whenever you give, a portion of that helps Don move throughout the world in churches that we are encouraging. I was able to see projects uh, that, through your generosity, we were able to, to accomplish. It's really cool being able to see that uh, with your own eyes, uh, but one thing I was able to see that was just awesome was year after year, pastors being built up. Some have false doctrine. We had one pastor that a couple years ago would tell people that they would go to hell if they wore the wrong clothes to church, right? And guess what? Uh, through your generosity and support, we've been able to train him to win, not only to where he realizes uh, that was foolish and unbiblical, but he realizes a lot of pastors, they are the problem because that's what they're preaching in Ecuador. Now they're preaching grace and they're going out in the streets and they're sharing the gospel. So we'll share more about that in a, in a couple weeks to come here. But when we landed in Ecuador, uh, it, was, it was interesting. I, it felt like we had landed on a holiday. Uh, we, when we landed, all the, all the businesses were closed. Fireworks were going off. The streets were completely empty. And the only thing we could find for dinner was KFC, all right? So interesting day. It's, I'm like, what is going on here? I checked the calendar just to make sure I hadn't woken up, but it was Christmas morning. It wasn't Christmas morning. It was November the 2nd, and it was called the Day of the Dead. I didn't think I'd be in Latin America on the Day of the Dead, but here I was, Day of the Dead, eating KFC with the empty streets surrounding me and fireworks going off. And I asked the people around me, I said, can you explain to me? I'm completely, like in America, sometimes the closest thing is you know, going door to door and getting candy, I guess. But this, they're like, they, they took this up a notch. They are seriously celebrating the dead. They're making cookies in the shape of their departed loved ones with little X's on the eyes. They're going down the streets in a parade in skeletons. Please, somebody explain what's going on. Well, the Day of the Dead, it was mainly a, a holiday in Mexico, but as there's different variants in uh, Latin America and especially South America. The Ecuadorian variant, uh, families uh, would celebrate the departed uh, family members' souls. Now, I'd say the closest thing that we have here in America is we have Memorial Day, we got, or you have, you have day, day which you celebrate those who departed in war, right? Or maybe you have different days where you go to the cemetery and you lay flowers. I, don't, I think that's appropriate, but this takes it up another notch. It's not just remembering those who died. It's, it's trying to connect with the souls who had departed. And so there's a big celebration surrounding it. They, they eat traditional foods. Hey, that, that sounds awesome, right? But then they take the food to the cemetery. They, they actually lay out the picnic blankets. And here's some of the cemeteries in Ecuador as we're driving by. You can see people sitting at the, at the grave there in the bottom left there. Uh, and they are, they are having a picnic and they're bringing food not only for themselves, but they're bringing food for the departed soul. They want the departed soul to, to be happy. And so, and being happy because not only do they want to talk to the departed soul, but they believe that the departed soul could help them not experience conflict in life. They could help them with further difficulties that may happen. And even families will build altars in their homes and they will burn incense or even in some cases we found even sacrifices to try to appease the souls of their family who had departed. So this is all going on and that night they're blown off fireworks in celebration of, of the souls that had departed. It was a, a, a literal party. But no matter how we shape it, no matter how we try to package it, Death is not a party. Death is tragic. It's a reminder that it, it wasn't supposed to be this way. I've mentioned this before. Every funeral, whether it is a young one or whether it's someone who is 105, there are still tears being shed because we are reminded that our life was meant to be forever. We weren't supposed to die, but two people, Adam and Eve, decided to, to go against the word of the Lord, and from that, sin entered the world, and not any one of us had to learn how to sin. And because of sin, we physically die. And because of sin, without a rescue, we will spiritually die. Now, when we die, 
We depart. But we don't come back as an angel. Some people talk about that. Oh, they're an angel. No, they're not. That's not biblical. That's not, you don't find that in the Bible. Angels are different created beings. Humans will never become angels. You don't come back as an angel. Uh, you don't come back as like Casper the friendly little ghost and show up every once in a while. Hey, I'm here, right? You don't do that. It's not like Ghost the movie. You remember that back in like 1990? You know, I think, what, who was it? Patrick Swayze or something like that, right? And Demi Moore, right? Not Demi Moore here in church, but Demi Moore, right? We have a Demi Moore in church. But anyway, so, <laughs> right? And, and there, he's, he's coming back to just comfort her. I'm still here. I'm your dead boyfriend, right? And no, it's a, um, that, that's, not, that, that's not how it works. Uh, we also are not to beckon. I mentioned this two weeks ago. We're not to beckon the, the spirits of the, of the dead. Some people do try to pay a fortune teller. They pay somebody to try to reach their, their dead grandpa. And they're like, oh, I met him. I talked to him. No, that wasn't him. We talked about how that was actually demonic activity, impersonating your loved ones. I know somebody's like, oh, really? Yes, really. Our souls, when they depart from this world, they depart from our bodies, and we cannot be in contact with them. Death is no party. And when you die, your souls will either go to a place called heaven. Brandon talked about that last week. And if you didn't hear that, please go back to Kenosha.Church, our app, and listen to that. Really, really good message. Your soul will go to heaven if you knew Jesus Christ as Savior. But if you didn't know Jesus Christ, your soul, your being goes to a very real place called hell it's not popular to talk about some people want to minimize it some people want to utterly deny it but I want you to know that it's a dereliction of my duty it, it is it is literally ripping pages out of scripture and words out of Jesus's mouth if we don't talk about the realities of hell hell is no party the party is getting started in heaven but hell the party's over hell is no party so we're going to talk about this morning the realities, the realities, uh, four realities of, of hell. Number one is hell is real. Number two, hell is just. Number three, hell is horrible. And number four, hell is avoidable. And, and we're going to get real this morning about it. I know I'm like, I'm, I'm writing some things and I'm like, man, should I say that? I'm like, yes. Do we want to be honest about hell this morning? Do, do you want me to water it down and make it palatable this morning? You want, okay, I'm not going to. It's not going to be popular, Right? I'm sure some things can be taken out of context, even on my words this morning. Look what he said. This message needs to be taken in full context. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 specifically. Let's talk about the first one. Hell is real. Hell is real. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus is giving a parable. That is a spiritual story to demonstrate real spiritual reality. Here it is. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. And he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. Verse 22. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man was, also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades... He looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. He said, Father Abraham, Father Abraham. Let's look at verse 19. We see here there are two men. We have a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Now, let's talk about the first, first person, the rich man. The rich man was filthy rich. He wore purple, which that's really significant. Purple was usually reserved for royalty. The purple dye uh, in this era was incredibly hard to get to and very expensive to attain, and he had it. He not only had it, his undergarments were, were really expensive. I would imagine his undergarments were probably more valuable than people's whole wardrobes. Why would this rich man spend so much on his undergarments and his whole wardrobe? Why would he do it? Because he can he was so filthy rich, when you saw him walking down the street, everybody knew his name. Like, whoa, look at that, right? Look, look, at, look, at, look, at what he's, look at his robe, right? Look at his sandals. Those are Air Jordan sandals. Like, like, what is going on? He's rich, and he's showing it off. He wore it to feel good. He knew he looked fresh, and he walked with a swagger. And to top that off, he would eat only the best food every day. The rich man's value was his passion. His vision for the day was to live for the right now. He didn't value the afterlife. 
He valued what can I get in my life right now. I want to live, and he did. Is this your life? Is there, you might not have the choicest food or the, or, or the freshest gear, right? Uh, it, but is that your life where, where, where the circumstances or things in your life are overshadowing you thinking about eternity? Uh, let's just get this out in the open. We don't, if you're not, if you're not a believer, you're probably not thinking of eternity very often. You might think of death, but you're not really thinking of the afterlife. But as Christians, we should be thinking about that. But I'm going to be honest, if I were to take a poll, I bet we can go days without thinking about it. Days without thinking about life eternal. And so everyday demands can overshadow the big picture. We get narrow-minded, narrow-focused on things that are fleeting, whether they be our worries or our, our desires, or, or what we're all about, our hobbies. These things temporarily fool us into thinking that we can find our worth and our satisfaction in these things. So what in your life right now is overshadowing you thinking about eternity? Is it the worries? Is it the promotions? Is it the fears? Is it wanting to be accepted by certain friend groups? Is it striving to enter into that perfect relationship? Is it that next high? What is it? What is that thing that is preventing you from thinking about forever? Now, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having hobbies or being passionate about something on this earth. It's not what you have it's what you do with what you have. Some, some people think they, if they woke up with a million bucks, life would be a lot better. Did you believe that? You woke up tomorrow, I'm like, man, I got a million bucks. I mean, yeah, you might be able to pay bills, right? You might be able to put that addition onto the house that you want or that car that you, that you always wanted. But, you know, you, you do the, of course, if you won the lottery, people are like, they're, they're finally, like, really serious about, about financial freedom, right? I would put it in my child's college fund and pay off debt. Why aren't you doing that now? Well, because I haven't won the lottery. Okay, anyway. So, but if you had a million bucks, people think, like, okay, I'd just be more generous. Generosity, by the way, doesn't start with a dollar amount. It starts with an attitude. Some people think that if life was just a little bit easier, then I could serve Jesus with all my heart. If I had Jesus, if you make these things easier, then I could serve you. I could think about eternity. But listen, it's not about Jesus making your life easier. Obedience is not circumstantial. Obedience is an expression of love for our Savior. We are to be obedient whether life is hard or it's on the easier side. Right now, God... Being right with God and organizing your life for eternity has nothing to do with how easy your life is or how much you have. It's a decision despite your circumstances. So it's not that we have a poor man and a rich man and oh yes, the poor man's better. That's not, but that's not what Jesus is saying. It's what do they do with what they had or didn't have. Verse 20, the other person in the story is the poor man named Lazarus. He was a man that didn't have anything, including his health. He had nothing, and he had sores all over his body. The poor man was unable to work because of this, to even stay alive. And so this poor man realized, Lazarus, he realized, I, I, I understand what I need to do. If I, 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 I am poor, I'm sick, I can't go to work. So he resigned himself. I'm going to find the richest person's driveway. I'm going to go to his gate. And when he puts out his trash, I'm going to go digging to see if I can find something I can eat. Verse 22, we see the rich man and then the poor man, they died. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels of Abraham's side. And then the rich man also died and he was buried. Both the rich and the poor, no matter their circumstances, they died. Death will meet you no matter where you're at. I said this a couple weeks ago. It is the great equalizer. No matter who you are, what you have, or what you've done in your life, where you live, unless Jesus Christ comes back in our lifetime, death will meet us all. It's not a pleasant topic, but it is an unavoidable reality. When death comes, only the haughty, only the proud, only the arrogant uh, will foolishly stand up to death and say, no, 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 I got a lot more living to do. And death just snickers back and says, do you know who you're talking to? Human, immortal. Lazarus died, the rich man died, death comes for us all. 
Both faced death, yet both had two different destinations after death we see here in our, in our text. One went to Abraham, uh, Abraham's side. Uh, some of your translations might call that the bosom of Abraham. Uh, Abraham would, would be seen as the greatest example of a follower of God, and so it's another name for heaven. And so Lazarus goes to heaven, and then we see another destination here. Uh, we see the rich man goes to Hades, or it could be translated hell. Jesus is telling us this parable this morning, not just to show that we can go two different places, but he wants us to visualize in a way that we will never forget the horrors of missing heaven, the horrors of hell. Hell is real. And yet a number of pastors, a number of even Christians, want to minimize that reality. Yes, it is unpleasant. Yes, it makes me sweat. And no, I, I am not crazy to where I'm like, yeah, let's just talk about hell every day. Doesn't it make us excited, right? No, it's, it's not a pleasant thing. But yet, we must talk about it. Only the arrogant will bury the warnings that Jesus was saying. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Because he did not want to see a single person not have the opportunity to be saved. Now, we know that most people will reject him, yet Jesus made it very clear, Jesus is the one giving this parable, that hell is real. May we never in our own arrogance think that Jesus needs an upgrade, that, hey, you know, Jesus, you're being a little harsh, Jesus. I'm gonna say it a little bit better because it's 2023 and we need to make it a little bit more palatable. May we never, ever do that. Jesus is in need of no upgrade, amen? Now, a number of words are used in the Old Testament and New Testament to describe hell. Uh, the English word hell uh, comes from mainly three uh, different words that will describe, uh, that describes the awful uh, eternity away from Christ. Now, sometimes people say, well, you know that hell originally, that word wasn't in the Bible. Well, it's an English word, of course. You can say it about any English words, right? Uh, in fact, if you've ever uh, studied other languages, you realize that sometimes English, we're just a, we just like to make it hard, right? We, we have one word for 35 different meanings, right? And so in Hebrew and Greek, we get different words that give us a bigger picture of the reality of what hell is going to be about. And yet in English, we translate it, Hell, right? But I'm going to give you other words for hell that will give us a deeper picture of a biblical understanding of the reality of hell. All right, let's define it this way. This is Wayne Grudem. Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment of those who did not receive Christ as Savior. I'll say that again. I don't have the slide for this. So for you note takers, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment of those who do not receive Christ as Savior. Uh, the words that we translate, the words that uh, which we ultimately translate hell in our scriptures, uh, is, shows up 62 times in the Old Testament and 23 times in the New Testament. Don't think like, oh, the New Testament doesn't talk about it as much. It might not talk about it frequency, as in the word hell showing up, but the New Testament is way more descriptive. The Old Testament people had a progressive revelation. They, God would pull back the curtain ever so slightly. But by the time the New Testament came, voila, you got, were able to see into the flames and horror of hell. In the Old Testament, the word translated for hell is called Sheol. This is the most important word in the Old Testament about the afterlife. Uh, this word gives the picture of our soul after it separates from our body and is literally in a holding place until the second coming of Christ. We translated pit. Uh, the, again, the Old Testament, not as descriptive as uh, hell as, uh, as the New Testament, yet I would say it's pretty descriptive what happens. Listen to this. It's from Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, who's the archangel, the great prince who stands watch over your people will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since the nations came into that time. This is speaking, by the way, that Daniel's thousands of years before uh, uh, our time today, uh, is speaking of the end times. We're going to do a second portion of the end time study uh, in 2024, and we'll talk about Daniel, but this is looking ahead here. So Daniel's prophesying. Daniel prophesied the things of Christ, but he also prophesied the things of the end. He's prophesying here the things of, of the end that have yet to come yet. 
So there'll be a time of distress such as never occurred since the nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some of eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. We can see here uh, that the readers of the Old Testament clearly understood if you didn't have a relationship with God, uh, you would go not to heaven, but to a place that we call hell. By the time we get to the New Testament, the veil is lifted ever so more, as I said, uh, and we get a clearer uh, visual depiction of hell. Uh, a, another word for hell that we see used a couple of times in 2 Peter and Jude is Tardis. No, no, I'm not talking about Doctor Who here, all right? Uh, but uh, Tardis is a word in 2 Peter 2.4. Let me give you it in context. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned against them into hell and delivered them into chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. So this word specifically is a description for hell uh, for the worst of the worst demons that were so bad that they were chained in the worst parts of hell and uh, waiting for the second coming of Christ. This is so significant. A lot of theologians debate what did these demons do that they were immediately chained? Because demons, the majority of the demons today, demons are fallen angels. They are wandering the world trying to tempt you. They're wandering the world trying to prevent people from coming to Christ, causing chaos. They're doing this until Christ comes back and boom, they will be sent uh, to hell. Uh, but there are some demons already in hell. Uh, again, we can speculate what it is, but whatever they did, it was absolutely horrific to where God's like, um, you're gonna get judgment right now. And so we see here that they were cast into hell, uh, into utter darkness, and kept for judgment. The next word that we see in the New Testament used for hell is Gehenna. Uh, Gehenna is a word that Jesus used often to describe hell. This was a word play uh, of uh, a valley outside of Jerusalem. Uh, there was a valley called the Gehenna Valley uh, where people would sacrifice human beings, people would burn trash, worms would, would, go, would go through corpses and, and, and different uh, de uh, decomposable things. It was awful. Uh, it was an awful place. Nobody wanted to go there. And so when Jesus was describing the place of separation from Almighty God in eternity, he called it Gehenna. It is worse than this, this place of, of, of utter awfulness. In fact, let's look at it in context. Mark chapter 9, verse 46. Jesus speaking uh, again, uh, as he does, uh, he says, if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom uh, with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Now, is Jesus actually telling you to cut your eyes out or cut your feet off? No, what he's saying, though, know, is, is that sin is so mightily, uh, it, it's awful in the eyes of God, all right? He's saying make every opportunity to not continue into sin, uh, because the object of sin, the goal of sin, uh, is for you to not know God and for you to be cast into, here it is, the word hell. Verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so Jesus is using Gehenna uh, as a wordplay so the people would understand the awfulness of hell. And the Jewish listeners would easily understand how awful hell would be by Jesus using this wordplay. When Jesus used this word to describe hell, people would remember the stench of the burning bodies of the people that were sacrificed. They would remember the stench of the garbage and the, and the worms that would eat through the decomposable items that were thrown away. And whenever hell was brought up, they'd be like, that sounds awful. Oh, it's awful, and it's much worse than the object he's using to illustrate hell. Uh, another word that is used for hell is Hades in the New Testament. You might see that in some of your translation, Hades. This is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Sheol, uh, but Hebrew word Sheol. But when we see Hades in the New Testament, it's not just referencing back to the Old Testament word Sheol. Uh, in fact, it is uh, giving it uh, even more of a description of what hell is all about. Luke chapter 16, verse 22 in our main text this morning, uh, we see uh, the word Hades brought up. One day, the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and being tormented in, there it is, Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus by his side. So we see that there are different words used in scripture to describe the very real place called hell. When our bodies die, our souls depart to horror or they depart to blessing. 
It's not any inter intermediate, like maybe you'll go one or the other. It is one or the other. It is sealed. It is done when you die. Now, our souls will be without bodies until Christ comes back. Christ has not come back yet. That's a future event. So when Christ comes back, our souls will be then reunited with a resurrected body. Both followers of Christ and people that rejected Christ in this lifetime will be resurrected, and the souls uh, will come back into those bodies. And so those who are uh, not followers of Christ, when their souls get back into their resurrected body, uh, they are no longer waiting for judgment. They will be judged, and hell will be cast into a much worse situation. It's called the lake of fire. So hell, whenever we talk about, is someone going to go to hell or, what, you know, or heaven? It, what we're talking about is where are they going in the intermediate time before Christ comes back? Hell is a holding cell. Hell will be thrown into an even greater reality called the lake of fire. And we see this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. Again, Revelation is yet to come. It's still in our future. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So hell uh, is awful. Hell is, 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 is it's, it's, it is the worst thing that you could possibly think of, but yet hell is being reserved for an eater, even greater judgment called the lake of fire, which is forever. So we clearly see scripture uh, does not look at hell as hypothetical, but is real. Hell is real. It's a serious real. We see very clearly that life will end physically, but it continues forever after death. Let's look at it again, Luke chapter 16, verse 22. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. I mentioned... Uh, sermons back, I've mentioned every once in a while, that before uh, I was a pastor, I was in training in seminary, and to help pay through seminary, I was a butler. I was a butler in one of the largest mansions uh, in Northbrook. And the owner of this was an old Broadway star. Uh, this person was well and uh, very elderly at this time, um, they, but they would go from uh, their castle or mansion to mansion around the country. So oftentimes I had this mansion all to myself. I just had to take care of it. Uh, but this person loved life. They were a star on Broadway. There's a theater named after them. And her best friend was Florence Henderson. Oh, yeah, Carol Brady, all right? And so it was just weird seeing Carol Brady. Everyone like the Brady Bunch, right? So, but there's one thing. She didn't want to die. Magazine after magazine. Part of me was bringing in the mail, setting it down so they can read Magazine after magazine was on how to live longer, tips on how to eat better, tips on mineral oils or essential oils, or uh, you know, tips on how to exercise so that you can live longer, live longer, live longer. She told me straight up, I do not want to die. Now, I'm not saying that you should neglect your health and not eat well or, or, or try to you know, live a life that's full of health. That's a good thing. That we need to take care of our bodies. But here's the deal. You can mask behind trying to take care of yourself by not realizing that we will all face our end and we have forever on the other end. We do not want to neglect our spiritual health because all we're focusing on is the physical Verse 22, we see a very vivid picture of Lazarus who went to heaven not because he was poor but because he had faith in God. And the rich man went to hell, hates. We see that after, both die, uh, they, after they died, both of their souls lived on. And when we die someday, our souls will live on somewhere, heaven or hell, one or the other. Now, this rich man, he realizes he blew it. He realizes uh, he put all his faith into not wanting to die, wanting to let, wear the best clothes, everybody know his last name, uh, and, and eating the choicest foods. Nothing was denied to him, and yet when he gets into eternity, the greatest thing that he could possibly have is denied to him. And the rich man, he cries out, 
in agony and intense pain. He cries out. Uh, he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus over here. Send him over here so that he could dip at least his finger and, and cool down my mouth as I'm in agony. Ironically, Lazarus was the one in this life who was the beggar. How the script has changed. The rich man who thought he needed nothing because he had it all is now the one begging in all of eternity. This parable reminds us that if it reminds us that we need to be begging God uh, on this earth, right? We need to go to before him in prayer. We need to be the persistent widow that we will not give up, that we will never stop going to God with our things. We need to realize that without God, we are bankrupt. We need to realize, indeed, it's not my grandma saying, it's a reality. Our riches, indeed, are in heaven. This is just a waiting place. We need to flip the script. Have we flipped the script? Are we living like, this is heaven, this is no heaven? You see, Jesus is in the business of flipping the script, amen? The rich man, he had whatever he wanted. Everyone knew his name. But in the story Jesus tells, the only name we know here is the poor man, Lazarus. We don't know the rich person's name. Oh, everybody knew his name, but we don't know it now. You know the poor man's name, Lazarus. How many of you are looking for a script to be flipped this morning? I want to live for eternity. I want to live now for eternity. He knows your name. He hears every prayer that you utter. Every time you turn the page and reading the Bible, uh, he is speaking to you. And every praise song with the hands lifted up declaring, God, God, I'm desperate for you. Without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I have no hope. And without you, I'll try to find hope in this world. It may give me temporary satisfaction, but in the end, it will end. God is in the business of flipping the script. Flip the script this morning. Because when you're in Jesus Christ, no matter what deep, dark circumstance you're in, and I'm not trying to minimize it. No, I'm, I'm maximizing it. It, it, is, it is, it's gut-wrenching. But I want you to know that is not your law in eternity. Victory is yours even in the biggest loss. And that's when we know that when we face hard things, if you're in Christ, you can be completely gutted, but you're not undone because you have the victory of Jesus Christ no matter what. He's in the business of flipping the script. Hell is no party. Hell is real. But in Jesus Christ, he doesn't want to give you hell. He wants to give you heaven. Second reality of hell this morning is hell brings forth justice. We are judged on what we did. I'll explain that in just a second. Luke chapter 16, verse 25. Son Abraham, uh, Abraham said, remember that during your life, this is Abraham now uh, responding to Lazarus. And again, why Abraham? Abraham is, is, uh, is being used as the illustration of, of the the top Christian, or top follower of Christ that everybody would think of. Abraham said, remember that during your life, you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here while you're in agony. Besides all of this, a great chasm has been fixed between you, us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. The rich Man is wanting help. He's realizing, I blew it. I need help. I need a rescue. But there's a great chasm. It is too late. It is forever fixed. This is a graphic picture. This is a graphic picture of why our time on this earth is so vitally, vitally important. Why the gospel must go out. Why we need to be recipients of the gospel. Why we need to tell what we know. Why? Because when life is done, and life will be done for every single one of us, it's coming for us. The, it is fixed, there's a great chasm, and you're going to be on one side or the other. Now, this is the part where people usually object. Oh, man, he's preaching hellfire and brimstone today. I, actually, I'm guilty of that today, right? But does the punishment of hell fit the crime? And whenever I hear that, I get a little, my, my heart kind of sinks a little bit. I'm like, man, that is forever. That's forever. Like, man, I mean, I know what the scripture says, I know what Jesus says, but... Man, they got an emotional point there. Like, really? Does heaven have to be forever? Come on. I mean, and this is usually where people will get you emotionally. 
Because hell is lifelong, irreversible, conscious punishment that is painful, it's unquenchable. That the things that we did will never be erased from our minds. The worst moments of our life here on earth are just the precursor to the horror that we will face in hell. Uh, really, does it have to be this way? If hell is a place for people who never place their faith and trust in Jesus, if hell is a place that is eternal conscious punishment for all those who are rejecting Jesus, what if the person was the nicest person in the world, the grandma who baked cookies for the kids in the neighborhood? Her? She never accepted Christ. She never placed her faith and trust in Jesus. She's going to hell forever. Does your heart turn a little bit? Really? If she didn't receive Jesus... You mean tell me she's going to go to hell forever? When an objection is made like this, it's called an emotional argument. We are living in a culture of people throwing around emotional arguments every day. Why? They want to manipulate your heart in the moment at the expense of facts. The danger of an emotional argument is it doesn't care about what is true about the matter. It wants to shock your attention to where your emotions drown out your mind. And as a result, pastors have emotionally reasoned away hell in their own words to make Jesus more palatable. Again, Jesus doesn't need an upgrade. We just need to be faithful. One way to reason away hell, I mentioned this two weeks ago, is universalism. Uh, universalism is, uh, or a universalist is someone who believes everyone, despite their belief, will be saved by Christ. At the heart of this false view is that everything will work out in the end. It's a destructive, it's a, a destructive thinking that hell only exists on earth. When Jesus talks about hell, he's only talking about the hard things they're going through. There's no hell in the afterlife, so a universalist will say. And man, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But the thing is, it's unbiblical, it's heresy, and just one drop of it will prove fatal. I want you to know, the reason why universalism, everybody's gonna be saved, isn't true, because Jesus was very clear it's not true. That's as simple as it is. We're either going to follow the words of Jesus or not. In fact, uh, here's a fatal blow to universalism. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. This is what Jesus says. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven to him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, either in this age or the one to come. Uh, Jesus is talking about what's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. A lot of theologians uh, have, have gone back and forth. What exactly is the unpardonable sin? Well, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. You want to know the sin that cannot be forgiven? You ready? It's constantly rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior all the way up to your death. Your sins, no matter what they are, past, present, or future, can be forgiven in this life. But the moment that your life ends and your soul leaves, I want you to know you've committed the unpardonable sin. You've rejected Christ. But what's important about this passage is Jesus is being very, very, very clear that people will miss heaven. People will spend an eternity away in a place called hell. Universalism is a lie. Any church that preaches that or a soft universalism, it's a lie. I had a lady call me uh, years ago. I think she called me 35 times. And she would always have the same worry. I, I, I just, I, I, I've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There's no way I'm saved. And though every time I take the phone call and I'd lead her to the Lord, even though I said, hey, this worked the first time. When, when you ask Jesus Christ to come in your life, he's still there. Yeah, but I, I'm worried that I, I committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And finally, she called me on Christmas Eve. I took the phone call. I was wrapping presents, right? Because I'm a dad. I wrap presents on Christmas Eve, all right? So I'm wrapping Christmas presents. I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? Hey, do you remember what I said last time? When you receive Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Do you believe that? So what am I going to say when you call next time? She repeated back, and she never called again because she realized that she was forgiven. If universalism is true, and it's not, it's a lie, it takes away any need to be saved. It takes away any, any uh, motivation to share. 
It takes away the hope and joy that we have that we've been rescued. If universalism is true and it's not, this would mean that heaven has the most unrepented villains in heaven. It means that even Satan and demons are going to be in heaven with you. Who's living next to Satan? Who's taking that one, right? People that wanted nothing to do with Christ, that opposed Christ, that were called enemies of the cross, they'll be in heaven, according to universalists. You know what that sounds like? That doesn't sound like heaven. That sounds like hell, right? Universalism is a lie, but they try to downplay it because they don't feel hell is palatable. Another way that's downplaying hell, and this one is actually ferociously coming into evangelical churches, all right? Listen up for this one. It's called annihilationism. Annihilationism is the belief that God destroys non-believers' souls to extinction rather than forever torture, forever, they call it torture, but forever judgment uh, in hell. People hold this belief typically point to Matthew 10, 28 as their proof. I'll read it to you. Matthew 10, 28 is, don't fear those who can kill the body uh, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so they said, aha, there it is. Uh, your soul's gonna be destroyed in hell. You'll, uh, you won't exist anymore. You know, that part was really hard that they're just gonna you know, be in hell and they're gonna be in conscious agony for forever. Yeah, that, that's too much. I agree. So, but guess what? I found a word and Jesus said destroy. Uh, your soul's gonna be destroyed in hell. Well, that sounds like a good argument, doesn't it? Except there are many other verses that are a lot clearer that it's gonna be forever eternal conscious punishment. But here we did, we, we, here we are, we found one text. And by the way, people will do this. They'll try to find one text, they'll call it a proof text. They try to find a text to back up usually what seems like fringe thinking, all right? And so they use Matthew 10, 28 to say, your soul is gonna be destroyed in hell. You just won't exist any longer. Well, there's a problem. That Greek word that's used for destroyed would not have been understood that way by, uh, by the original listeners. That word destroyed, that Greek word for destroyed, actually meant eternal punishment. And so everything that we have uh, in Scripture uh, points to that uh, hell is real and that it's forever. And so people will either use a universalism or they'll use annihilationism uh, to, to try to minimize hell. But you want to know what I think the majority way that people minimize hell and just erase it. This one's big in the evangelical church. It's really popular. Yet just don't talk about it. Shh, we'll talk about heaven. We'll talk about God's love. But we're not gonna talk about hell, right? We're gonna talk, we're gonna tell you what we're for, not against, all right? And you've heard that, that cute phrase, right? And it's like, what's that even mean, right? So, like, okay, so, but let's just not talk about it. Let's just not preach it. But the writers of Scripture are so abundantly clear. You're not going to want to be saved if you don't know what you're being saved from. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the name who they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they, uh, how can they hear without a preacher? How can they uh, preach unless they're sent, as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want to tell you, the gospel is good news, but if you don't talk about the bad news, how is it good news? It's just news. The gospel, oh, that's cool. Bury that in page seven of the newspaper, right? I'll put that on the bottom of the website, right? No, it is headlines, good news, Jesus Christ has come to save. Save from what? Your sins. Well, why do I need my sins saved? Because there's heaven and there's hell and we're gonna spend eternity somewhere. That is why we have to preach it. But people are minimizing it. And with the minimized hell comes a minimized gospel. And you know what happens? People just gather together and they feel religious. We don't want to gather together and feel religious because you know what happens? It becomes a talent show. Oh man, I'm better than you. I got this better than you. I know this better than you. Look what I'm doing. That's garbage, right? We want to be a church where we realize the depths of where we've come from. We want to realize the, the wonder and awe and majesty that God has saved us through Jesus Christ. Right, church? And so when we understand what we've been saved from, oh, it maximizes the wonder of the gospel. We just came back from Ecuador, as I said. Bonus story. I don't even have notes on this, but I made a, I made a note because I was like, I think, I think we need to share it. And so um, one of the churches that we are serving... They were, they were wild, all right? Like, I don't know. It was acrobatic worship, all right? I tried it, and I about got injured, okay? So uh, it was awesome. Um, 
and they would worship for four hours. It was crazy. And their lunches, uh, they, they were like three hours because they, I'm not kidding. They served us dinner. But before we ate a thing, they made us all hangry. You want to know why? They decided to worship for three hours and then came dinner. I was like, these people are insane. But, but here's the thing. I love them because they love Jesus. And they showed me loving Jesus is pretty awesome, right? But you know what? They fell into great error. And Don, our partner, uh, helped walk them through this error. They loved Jesus so much, but they just, they never shared Jesus. Once. And so he trained them to share the gospel. Uh, he said, share your friends, invite them to church, have conversations about Jesus where, to and fro and where you're going. They're like, we can do this? Yeah, you can do this. It's called sharing the gospel. Really, it's not just about like getting excited about Jesus. Be excited about Jesus, but be excited about sharing Jesus and advancing the gospel of Jesus. And they're like, game on, what do we do? Now here's the deal, in Ecuador, there's massive violence happening in that country. Thank you for your prayers, because I, I, I felt fine the whole time. I'm like, I felt like God, if you are in where God wants you to be, it's the safest place to be, all right? And so, but there, there's been violence all over the country. Gangs have been coming in. Uh, there's a lot of cartels, things like that. Well, literally, these guys got so excited about sharing the gospel. They had like, a, they had like a, an old like hippie van, you know, right? Um, and then they had about five motorcycles. They got done worshiping, and then they got on their motorcycles. I followed them behind in the hippie van, and we went up the mountain. I'm like, literally, this is a gang of evangelists right now. Like, literally, they had smiles. They're, like, smiling. It's like, if you had motorcycles and a hippie van show up in a city in Ecuador, they know that there's going to be gang violence. So I'm like, they're going to totally misread what's going on. But you know what they did? They were smiling the whole time. They had Bibles toted under, underneath their arms, and they were going up those mountains, and we just show up at people's houses and knock on doors and you know what people came, came to Christ right but the reason why I share that is because if hell isn't real what we did was really dumb right but because it is it's not that they're just going to say well should we do this it's we have to do this how can we keep this to ourselves and literally it's etched in my brain i will never forget about the gangster of evangelist it's amazing but you want to know what how beautiful are the feet and the motorcycles of those who bring good news amen church why though why does hell have to be this way Okay, I'll give. I know that the I, I know that the Bible and Jesus explains the horrors of hell. I'll give to that. I'll submit to that. But I'm still struggling. Why? Why did he have to go so extra? When we ask that question, it's because we don't realize the seriousness of our sin. Sin is treason against God. Luke chapter 16, verse 27. Father, he said, I beg you, send him to my father's house because I have five brothers. This is, this is, this is the rich man. He realizes, I, I done messed up. Hey, you need to go and tell them. Oh, they can't do that, right? You need to go tell them uh, and tell them so they don't come to this place of torment. When the rich man realizes that judgment is irreversible, that there's no limbo or purgatory found anywhere in the Bible, he pleads with God but it's too late. It's too late because sin is a big deal. And it's a big deal without a remedy. We are all sunk. In fact, there was a point in our life, every single one of us was sunk. And then we heard the gospel. And for many of you, you were rescued. And for some of you, for whatever reason, you haven't received Jesus. You're going to be able to receive him today. But he's going to rescue you. Sin's a big deal. Many feel like, ah, oh, sin's not a big deal. Everybody's cussing. Everybody's smoking that. Everybody's looking at that. Everybody's doing that. Uh, it doesn't matter what the majority's doing. It matters what does God want. Puritan Jonathan Edwards, he said it this way. The reason we find hell so offensive is because of our insensitivity to sin. What if from God's viewpoint, the greatness of sin is determined by the greatness of the one who it's committed against? Let's think of it this way. I was... Um, as a kid, I would take a shortcut through this guy's yard, and he hated it. Every time I walked through this guy's yard, he, would, he was ready for me. I, I'm, I'm thinking even my eight-year-old brain's like, why'd you buy a house next to school, right? So, but, uh, and so I'm walking through his yard. He'd open it up, get out of my yard. It's my yard. You're going to kill my grass. And I'm like, eh, you know, and like every time like he would yell, like the sin nature in me, but like, I'm going to do it again tomorrow, right? And so, and so the, the worst that would happen is that he would yell at me. I mean, he could come out and beat me up. He could come out and he could have killed me. But that would have been, it, it wouldn't have fit the crime. He would have gone to jail for that, right? But he wanted me off his yard. 
I trespassed against his yard, but it's, it's just one of those things. I was being disrespectful, um, and, and he yelled at me, all right? But let's, let's say I walked through a different yard. Let's say one day I was in Washington, D.C. I'm like, you know what? I need to get diagonally that way. I'm going to climb this black fence, and I'm going to walk the White House lawn. I'm just going to stroll, right? I'm going to stroll the White House lawn right now. And you know what? The best thing that could happen to me is someone on top with a big old gun saying, get off this yard. But what most likely happen is I would get injured because they tackle me. I may end up even dead, right? Now, here's the deal. Two yards, two places of grass. One, no biggie because of, it's just a person's yard. But this one, it's a big one because I am trespassing against a great, for our country, sacred place, right? The reason why sin is so awful is because you're trying to walk through the White House lawn. You are trespassing against something so great. It is treason against our Lord. Big and small, sin separates us from almighty God. Sin is treason against God. And when we sin and we've all sinned, we're separated from him. And without a remedy, hell awaits. And I want to tell you, hell is horrible. Some people say, oh, don't even talk about this part. It's just manipulation. Here's the deal. It's not manipulation. It's not manipulation. Often, uh, it's, it, if the illustration isn't as bad as what you're talking about, that's manipulation. It's what you, bad used car salesmen do, right? Get in this car. It'll, it'll, it'll take you to and fro the rest of your life, and then it breaks down the next day. He manipulated you into buying a lemon, right? The descriptions of hell is not a lemon. It is, it is, a, uh, it is just a, a small piece of the horrors that hell really is. It is not manipulation to talk about the, the descriptions of hell that the Bible gives us. It is a warning, Hell is going to be painful. Our bodies will burn, but they will not. It'll be unquenchable. It'll be completely just flames, literal flames that will forever be quenched. There's even that I believe the flames, not only physical flames, but there'll be spiritual flames of unquenchable guilt and a tormented conscience forever. There'll be loneliness. Some people think it's going to be a party. It's not. I think if you're claustrophobic, you can be very claustrophobic up there. There'll be no fellowships. Yes, Lewis believes there'll be no communication, but rather a paralyzing agony. Hell is horrible because it's easy to get to. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road that leads to destruction, and there are many who will go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Hell is horrible. Horrible. It's why we want to see nobody go to it. Hell's preventable. Number four. Verse 27. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. Somebody can't warn people on earth from hell. They can't, but the Bible does. This parable serves as a warning for us today. We who are still alive, everybody's alive in here, right? No one's passed on since I've been talking here, right? Good, check, all right? That means there's still time. There's still time to get right with God. There's still time to live right with God. You're not dead, therefore you're not done. You're not dead, you're not done, amen, right? And God is calling us today to make your story alive in Jesus Christ. Because through Christ, you are made alive. When you awaken to this realization, when you awaken that you still have time, it means there's still hope to be found and hope to be given away. Acts 4.12 says there's no salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to the people by which we must be saved. Well, what about the people that never heard? Here's the reality. Past generations of people that withhold God and withhold the truth don't realize that your decisions now are affecting generations later. When parents decide we're not going to go to church, we're not going to bring our kids to church, guess what? You may be setting up a domino for two, three, four generations, and in this case, whole nations of people that don't know Christ. That is why missions is so important. That's why missions is not optional. That's why we must do it locally. We must do it regionally, and we must even put ourselves out there on the field, and that's why we have international partners. Jesus told us to do it this way. Why? Because heaven and hell is on the line for those that don't know him. That's so why missionaries risk their lives to share the gospel. What about the death of an infant or a baby? I want you to know for any mother, father, grandparent that's experienced that in your life, I want you to know that if they 
are not at an age where they can understand the gospel. I believe we have a wonderfully comforting passage when David lost his child. He prayed earnestly that his child would be healed. It was not. And he said, it is no longer the child will come to me, but in death I will go to him. I want you to know that I believe there is grace for children who could not place their faith and trust in Jesus yet to be under the grace of God because of that passage in David. What if a loved one that could have accepted Christ, that could have placed their faith and trust in Christ, whether it be a brother or a spouse or a grandparent, what if they passed on and they didn't have Christ? I've heard people say, I don't want to go to heaven if I can't go to heaven and my spouse not be there because my spouse didn't believe. I don't want to go to heaven because my parents, they didn't believe and they're not going to be there. Remember, there is no fellowship in hell. And I want you to know this right now. What we see in this passage is your loved ones who departed without Christ. It is awful. I've had loved ones depart without Christ. But I want you to know right now, they do not want you to come to hell. They are agonizing. Please place your faith in Jesus. They're agonizing. Get right with God. That is their demonstration of love for you right now in eternity. Do not make the same mistake they did. And when you're in heaven, you'll be filled with such joy and understanding and perspective of Christ that that will not bog you down. You'll understand the justice of God. Does that make sense? But without hope of Jesus, a great chasm stands between God and humanity, but Jesus has come to bridge that divide. If you're a follower of Christ, the vision of Christ cannot stay. The mission of Christ cannot stay inside of you. You share it despite your circumstances. Oh, I consider the sufferings of this present time. Nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in Christ Jesus. So, you ready? I hope we live life as ripe way in our 90s and our 100s. But I want you to know, are we ready to stand before Almighty God? Knowing that our souls will live somewhere forever. So, let's take this home. I know we went a little extra innings today, but we're dealing with hell. Don't want to get that wrong, right? Here we are. Dig deep. Why does hell make you uncomfortable? This is something I had to wrestle with all week. Why does hell make you uncomfortable? I want you to think about that. I want you to write that down. I want you to talk to God about that. Urgency. What you believe about hell informs how you share the gospel. How concerned are you about the reality of hell on a one through 10 scale? Number three, pray God would give you a healthy fear and fearless resolve to share the gospel. Be those, be those motorcycle people with a smile and a Bible. You don't literally have to do this, but you get what I'm saying. And who's in your circle? Who do you need to start praying for? Who do you need to start caring and showing random acts of kindness to? And who do you need to share with? Who? So, Father, I pray today that we would live in the reality of knowing that you, Lord, that you are good and that you're kind and that you offer us a rescue. Help us be people that, that live in grace and love for each other to share the goodness of who you are. As we continue to pray, I want to talk to anybody in this room right now that you're uncertain you have a relationship with Jesus. You're like, crud, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss heaven. I want a relationship with Jesus right now. If that's you, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, you're like, I want to make right with God right now. I'm uncertain about it, or I know I'm not right with God. If that's you, with no one looking around, just slip up your hand. Just say, that's me. That's me. Awesome. I see you. Anybody else? Awesome. I see you. Awesome. Great. This is what we're going to do, okay? For the people across this room that raised their hand, and even if you didn't raise your hand, you can join in with me. I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? I'm going to pray a prayer of surrender to Jesus, that you are going to surrender your will and that you're gonna place your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, okay? So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong. I realize I've sinned, and I need a rescue. I can't rescue myself. I can't, I, I, I can't take away my sin by my good works. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. I wanna follow you now. Thank you for forgiving me and help me follow you with all of my life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for everybody in this church now that we would live 
with the confidence of who you are. We live with the reality of the forever that waits for us and that we take every moment to make you known and enjoy you forever. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give it up for those today that made certain of their faith today. God is good. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.